Are you tired of carrying multiple pieces of equipment on your service truck? Lincoln Electric has introduced the solution, the Ranger Air 260 MPX. This multifunction engine drive combines an air compressor, generator, battery charger, battery jump starter, and multi-process welder in one compact device, specifically designed for the unpredictable circumstances and job demands of the work truck industry. But that's not all. The Ranger Air 260 MPX is also designed to provide a lower cost of ownership with features such as auto stop-start technology and an electronic throttle body engine with variable engine speed. Don't miss out on this versatile and reliable machine that can handle any demanding job site. Visit www.lincolnelectric.com for more information on the Ranger Air 260 MPX available later this year and save space on your truck for other tools and gear with this compact power horse. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. If you've watched Weld.com, you've definitely seen Jason Becker. I've been listening to his podcast, Arc Junkies, for quite some time now and really wanted to sit down and have a chat about our interesting perspective we have through interviewing people throughout the industry. This week, we chat about welding education, different programs that are working on trying to get new welders into the industry, and a little bit about his adventure into blacksmithing. Do you want to tell our listeners, just in case they aren't sure who you are, which would be crazy, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. My name is Jason Becker. I am the current host of the Arc Junkies podcast and former host of Weld.com. So I did some episodes of Weld.com from late 2018 into early 2020. I've watched everyone, I'm sure because <laughs> sorry about <laughs> No, man. It's funny. I got to talk to Bob Moffat last night, actually. I was the first time I'd ever had a conversation with him. And I was telling him that when I was going through school, you and him were very big inspirations to me because like you talk about on your podcast all the time, my school wasn't bad. I had good teachers, but I wasn't getting the attention I wanted. I just wanted to see it again, have a closer view. And that's what I got out of weld.com. I started watching all of the videos and I was just like, man, thank goodness for these videos because I have an idea of what I'm supposed to be doing. And it seems like that's a common problem across the board with a lot of schools. And some schools use resources like weld.com as a supplement to what they're teaching. And then some people rely on it heavily to teach their students because depending on how many students you have in the class, and as much as I hate to say it, the level of engagement and involvement with the instructor, that might be the only way that some people are learning. And it wasn't until I got into doing the videos for weld.com that I realized wow, this is really making an impact. It's making a difference. We're actually teaching people how to weld that are paying to go to welding school. Yeah, like supplemental would be an understatement in my opinion, <laughs> you know. There wasn't like every single thing that I did in school. It wasn't on weld.com. It got me close enough, but it was just such a huge help. And it was a bonding experience because it was, I went to school during COVID and it was just oh, yeah. a bad time for everybody. We all know that, but I... My line of work was music and it just got decimated. There was like no help on the unemployment side for musicians for quite some time. So a lot of people in my community had a really hard time. And that's when I found welding and just like watching you guys on YouTube. It was like a bonding experience. It was a dark time mm -hmm. of my life that you guys were always there for me, even though you didn't know who I was. 
but it, I think everybody went through something similar. Yeah. And it, it's just the content side of just meeting people through YouTube. That was something I really wanted to chat with you today is I always have a very different idea of who someone is until I have a conversation with them. We all have these kind of made up versions of people until you actually meet them because social media gives you an idea of who they are, but it helps you form your own idea. And through mm -hmm. the podcast, it has really warped my mind a lot of the times because I just have this idea of who someone is and then it's just they're nothing like I would have ever expected. How's That's what a lot of people say is you don't want to meet your hero. Not that I'm anybody's hero, but you don't want to meet your heroes because you've got one perception of who this person actually is by how they portray themselves, whether it's in a movie or on social media or YouTube. And I found that's within the welding community, whether it's YouTube or Instagram, because that's predominantly the folks that I know, that's not really the case. The majority of the time, what's on screen is what you're going to get in reality. Meeting so many different personalities in the welding world, what has that been like for you? It's been a hell of a journey. That's the coolest part about running the Arc Junkies podcast is the fact that you get to meet virtually mm -hmm. so many different people from all around the world. So it's a lot of fun. And at the time, I'm learning right along with the listeners because you can't know everything about welding. It's just impossible. And there's so many different facets. So meeting with all these different people. And then the coolest part is going out to these events like FabTech or the adult welding competition or world skills and actually meeting these people in person. I think that's like the coolest part of it. And you just continuously grow your network. It's been, it's been a, it's been a heck of a journey. Yeah. What have been some of the things that you've learned through the podcast you didn't know about welding before? Oh, there's, you put me on the spot, a tremendous amount. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I learned about these, there's specific systems and different processes that a lot of people are using. You wouldn't necessarily think that that's possible. Like there's this one company that does these big screw systems. They're set up at a 45 degree angle and it's like a big, uh, kind of like a big turbine and they, it's like a kiln. And they go out there and do these repairs and they cut out these massive sections and put them back into place in a scam. How do you even come up with an idea like that? And these <laughs> things are like 15, 20 foot diameter and they're, they go out there and cut those. So I, like, I didn't even know that was a line of work that existed. Underwater NDT inspection. You know, I didn't think you could do mag particle inspection underwater. But, you know, I've had a guest on that, you know, we were talking about, oh, yeah, we could do that. We do mag particle underwater all the time. And I'm like, damn, I didn't, I didn't think that would work. Like yeah. once you release the mag particle from the little canister that I it'd get wet and then it wouldn't go to where it needs to go. But yeah, like every episode, I learned something. This, this is a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, especially with the array of guests that come on the show, people from all different backgrounds, NASCAR, aerospace. I think one of the coolest interviews I'd ever done was chatting with Bill Comlos. He writes a lot of welding procedures and stuff for the Department of Defense, NASA. He's the one that wrote the welding procedure for the Mars Rover for these little tubes that go on there that collect water samples. And then he introduced me to the guy that actually made the weld. So it was, it's cool to see how one guest leads you to another, connects yeah. you to somebody else. It's like growing that network. Yeah. When I was at Fabtech, I was just sitting and just anybody that kind of walked by, I was just chatting with them and then just see where they're from in the industry. And I interviewed like 29 different people from like all over the industry. But one was a NASA guy. Spencer Wells, he welds in their prototype lab, like NASA's special prototype lab. And it was just telling me how finding that job, he was searching for, just kept asking himself, where do you find these one in a million jobs? And just, he said, just keep looking, just keep looking and they'll pop up. But yeah, the, the different array of people you talk to through the industry, it's just insane because you'll learn things you never even knew existed. Like Cobots was one of the big things this past year. 
I knew about robots, but I didn't know about the small ones, the cobots. I feel like that's a hot topic. Have a lot of people been talking oh. to you this year? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so I just had Gary Kanarska on, the executive director of the American Welding Society, and we were talking about cobots. We talked about it actually last year for the state of the welding industry because he's headed the AWS, essentially. And we talked about cobots a lot last year. This year, when you go to Fabtech, it seemed like every other booth had a cobot in there. Yeah. So we all knew it was coming. So yeah, like cobots is, it's something that, um, it's here to stay. It's not something you can push back and it's helping to fill that skills gap that we currently have. Speaking of the skills gap that we have, I know you're really passionate about trying to get people into the trades. Do you want to talk about some of the different organizations you work with? Yeah. So I'm part of an organization called Crew Collaborative. And what they do is they try to promote the skilled trades in general, not specifically welding, but the skilled trades. So everything from construction, linemen, framers, plumbing, pipe fitting, heavy equipment operation, heavy equipment repair, lubrication sales and everything, because all this stuff has to be lubricated. There's people from a vast background of skilled trades. So that's one organization that's trying to get people in skilled trades in general, because we all, we're all familiar with the skilled trades in welding. It's not just impacting welding. It's hitting every other skilled trade that's out there. So think about your plumbers, your linemen, your electricians, carpenters, all that stuff. Everybody's facing this skills gap because for a long time, people were told, go to college, don't go to trade school. Some part of Crew Collab, you know, they kind of push that agenda and they're all blue collar workers. Another one is the Florida Builders Association or the FBA. So I volunteer for them once a year to go out and they put on a little camp. So it's like a two week deal. And students come from all across the state. And I think they, they're from like sixth grade up to 12th grade. And they come out there and we expose them to the different trades, but they get to do something while they're on property. So like the bricklayers have them over there. They build a dumpster gate for the entire week that they're out there and they rotate in little shifts. The landscapers, you know, they teach them how to do hardscaping and stuff like that. So it's stuff that'll leave like a lasting impact on the facility. I go out there and expose them to welding. So there's really nothing on property that needs welded so that you could teach this skill set in a short amount of time. So we build like little uh, Lincoln Electric makes these little Eagle kits. So I cut out a bunch of those and I let the students weld those up and just get them, just get some hands-on experience with welding. You may yeah. not choose welding. You might get into another skilled trade or you might go off and earn a degree in college. Maybe that's your route. At least you have exposure to this. I also did some stuff with the, uh, the Boy Scouts of America for the welding merit badge. And just like anytime I get a chance to talk to somebody, I just tell them how great welding is and how much we need people. Yeah. And everybody, the first thing everybody always says never, I say, hey, if you're looking for something, I try to get a bunch of musicians to become welders because I was like, listen, this is where it's at. Everyone's just like, no, that's too dangerous. It's so dangerous. It's dirty. I don't want to do that kind of stuff. And it's an uphill battle, it feels like, trying to explain to people that there's protective equipment to keep you safe. And sure, you're going to get dirty from time to time, but at the end of the day, you'll have something that could support you just in case anything happens where you can't go out on tour or you can't go in the studio. It's a really good trade to have, but people just seem afraid of it. Yeah, no, it's hell of a trade. If you think about it, welding has a lot in common with music. And I train a lot of my students when I was in the education sector training people how to weld, I'd ask them, hey, what kind of music you listen to? And I'm pretty well versed in a lot of different types of music. So they'd lay, they'd name a genre and I'd say, okay, think of this song. Okay, that that momentum right there, that that tempo, stay with that. And that's exactly how you're gonna manipulate that puddle. Or I'd use a metronome app. I'd tell them, say, hey, press out your cell phone and download this metronome app and you're gonna run at this many beats per second, you know, when you're going 3G vertical. It just seemed to connect with a lot of people. And yeah. I have students that had a musical background 
And it was easy for them to pick up. It's just about the tempo. Yeah. Just get that rhythm in your head. 81 to 83 BPM is perfect for 2G root bass on stick with an eighth inch gap, eighth inch land. 82 is a great BPM for running around 75 to 80 amps. Just saying. Oh, there you go. So, see, <laughs> I timed very, very it out, bro. It. I timed it out yeah. because I, when I was doing my tests, I was like, I'm going to make sure I have the perfect momentum for just whipping this root in and 82 yeah, to like. It's all about consistency. That's why the cobots and the robots do so well because they don't deviate from what you program it to do. Yeah. Humans, we do. We get some random thought pops in your head. Next thing you're off the track and now you're blowing a bigger keyhole than you wanted in the root. Speaking of roots, I tutor at the college I went to now and the thing that everybody always struggles with in open root is the root. Like everybody can just get the fillers down, they get their caps down, the hot pass, not too bad, but roots. Like what is your biggest advice of learning how to put a root in a plate? Prep. Everybody wants to skip the prep and jump into the welding part. So they'll just grab two pieces. They don't worry about what the land is. They don't care what the bevel is. They'll what set the gap relatively decent or uniform and then they try to make a good weld and you, you can't i mean eventually once you get you the skill set because sometimes you just got to deal with what you got you'll be able to get there eventually but prep is the key make sure you're every single time your land is consistent because if you're fit up and your prep isn't consistent every time you can't train yourself to weld the same way every single time you're gonna have to make adjustments and if you're just learning you got to be consistent with everything that you do so prep is key you know if you've got a 30 degree angle and an eighth inch root and a 330 second land, make sure that you prep that material the same way every single time. That's another thing that when people get into welding, they're not really prepared for is that they just want to weld. They don't know yep. that 90% of what you're going to be doing is getting that metal ready to weld. Exactly. It's the same thing with taking the mill scale off. Even if you're doing like a fillet weld, take the mill scale off, that puddle's going to flow a lot better. But everybody wants to skip the critical part and jump right into what they think is the most important, which is the welding. And they, they bypass all the base metal prep and fit up and all that. And they're like, I just don't understand why this isn't working out. <laughs> think about yeah, it. Think, you think about, about it. it. What'd you do? Did you take off the mill scale? No. Okay, let's take off the mill scale. Let me show you the difference. That was actually what I taught in education. That's one of the things that we would start with is we started with a block. And this block was probably four inches by six inches, three-eighth material. And then I had two other pieces that were two inch by six inch, same thickness. And I say, okay, you're going to take the mill scale off one of these two inch pieces and the backside of that four inch piece, you're going to tack that up. The other side, leave all the mill scale, rust, whatever on there. And then we'd go through the welding process and would physically show them the difference between prep and not prepping your material. And they could see it instantly. So the first week of school, I've already crossed that barrier. Once you try to let them weld on bad material early, they don't want to go back and clean it. But if you show them like it's a significant difference right up front, they're like, oh, yeah, I can clean my base metal. So you got to instill that to them like first thing right off the rip. That's a great tip for any educator out there. If you're having a hard time really getting it through that, that's a great way of showing people just I feel like that's a big thing with welding is you have to be shown. You have to be able to see what you're trying to do. And that was one of my biggest the first week of welding school. I was like, I have no idea how people do this. And then a week in. My, I was just like, I can't see anything. My welding instructor was like, all right, let me see your hood. And I still had safety film, the on, film on, there. <laughs> on the inside, like on the cover lens. Like I didn't know that there was another one in there. And then I was like, oh, now I oh, see. Well, no, this is, now I see what you're talking about. Like, That's easy. Like, that's been the thing my whole life. Show me why. I was always that kid. Why? Why do I have to do it? Why? So I explain and show the why because welders are, we're all very similar at the core. 
Show me why. Tell me I can't do something. You know, stand by. I'm going to do it. You know, just to prove somebody wrong. If I could show a student, here's why we clean our base metal. Or here's why we don't use short circuit MIG on anything over 5 sixteenths. I, we run a couple test plates and I show them the lack of fusion and then they see it. But if you just tell them, hey, don't do that, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're curious. They're going to go out and do it. They're going to do it behind you. They're going to wait till you're not looking and they're going to do it and they're going to try and prove you wrong. But if I show them up front, here's why we don't do it, then it takes all the mystery out. Yeah. I had a, an instructor that was like, just make sure you don't go around and touch the wire because it was the wire feeders that are on the outside. So the, the rolls are just exposed. They're like, yeah, just make sure you don't touch those rolls if someone's welded. And everyone's just like, what? You know, why? And then a guy in my class, he went over and touched one. And we saw real fast why, because all the electricity is going through there still. And you get shocked. But you got to show I've the people. I've never seen that. Yeah. If you go up to. <laughs> now I want to go touch this pool of wire while somebody's welding. <laughs> Try it out, man. But yeah, you get shocked pretty good. At least he did. As far as with the podcast. What has that transition been like from going and teaching and also doing videos to just doing podcasts? What has that journey been like for you? It's been pretty unique. So like right when I, so I left education back in August and it just so happened that like right around that time, I had a lot of travel going on. So from August up until mid-November, it was like constant travel everywhere. I went up to World Skills. I went up to a welding competition in Dallas, Georgia. I did Fabtech. I went to an ASME Section 9 clinic in Houston, Texas. So it's been a lot of travel, which I haven't normally been used to that. Like previously, it was always like maybe two to three days out of the month or something I would travel. But I think the entire month of October, I was only home on the weekends. Dang. And it was just going from one event to the next. So it's been, it's been a unique experience jumping from transitioning from full-time education into doing the podcast. But in addition to running the Arc Junkies podcast, I also do weld consultations, weld certifications, and you're trying to skill up some of the employers that, you know, just do weld consultations, bring them in there and talk about the processes they're running, the paperwork that they need, getting some of their welders skilled up. So it's been a pretty unique mix between the two. And you're also doing a podcast with AWS, the Weld Wednesdays. What's that been like? That's been great because the, the AWS is such an amazing organization. Organization. They've got so many different facets in that organization. They've got all the grants and the scholarships. They've got marketing. They've got codes and specs. They got everybody that kind of interacts there. And most of them are volunteers. So most of the people that I have on the podcast, they're all volunteers with the AWS. So seeing why they joined the AWS, why do they have so much interest? Why have they been a member for 20, 30 years? It's been a pretty cool experience talking to them. That's where I met Bill Comlos. So I get to meet a lot of people through doing the well wind episodes. I got to talk to some underwater welders. I got to talk to see how codes and specs are actually developed by talking to these different men and women that come on the podcast. So it's, that's also been an awesome experience too, just doing that, partnering up with the American Welding Society, because I know a lot of people knock the AWS. I don't understand why, because once you start getting into it, once you become a member and you start realizing all the different benefits and opportunities you have within that as a welder, like, why wouldn't you want to join? They're not out to dig into your money. They're a nonprofit organization. Yes, they put out the codes and standards that we have to adhere to, but all those codes and standards were developed and tried and tested by volunteers and business owners, equipment manufacturers. And they're like, here's what works. Yeah. This is why this is considered pre-qualified. This is why you have to qualify this procedure here, and it lays it all out in black and white. I think one thing about the AWS that is confusing to people is that people don't know what is going to benefit them by being a member. So say you're a student, 
or you're a seasoned welder, like what are the benefits of being an AWS member? Oh man, I had, when I was in education, I had so many students that applied for AWS grants and scholarships just to go through the welding program. I had one student, he got a district and a national scholarship. That was the difference between him being able to take the class or not. And he was an AWS student member, which is 15 bucks. What's 15 bucks? Yeah. So what, three monster energy drinks, two, two cups of coffee at Starbucks? You think about it, they give out over $2 million a year in grants and scholarships. Just from being an instructor, I've seen the benefit that it's had on so many of my students getting a scholarship. And then while I was at the school, we submitted for the workforce grant to change our curriculum a little bit. We wanted to start getting into project-based learning. So we applied for the AWS workforce grant. It took me two, maybe three attempts, but we finally got the grant. It was $25,000 and our school matched it. So I was able to go out and buy $50,000 worth of fabrication equipment. That's so awesome. without, without a, a, an entity being able to provide that financial support, my school would, would probably, we probably never would have been able to teach project-based learning. I feel like a lot of people just don't understand the benefits of being a member. But especially yeah. like students, it's, hey, if you are getting just a certificate, you very well could get a scholarship to go get an associate's degree instead. Just oh, even, yeah, especially not just the hands-on welding portion. They need welding engineers as well. There's been people out there that have gotten full-ride scholarships to like Letourneau and Ferris State to go get their welding engineering degree. For $15, you become a student member and you fill out this application. And don't get me wrong, the student membership's not a requirement, but it definitely looks good on the application if you catch my drift. You definitely want to throw your student number down on there and when you submit your application, because if it comes down to it and somebody's a, an AWS student member and somebody's not, who do you think they're going to pick? They've been members for 20, like I said, 20, 30 years. These are the people that are approving these scholarships. But some of the other cool th things, just from my experience, the benefit from being an AWS member has been the section meetings. I get just for my, to maintain my CWI. We, we run meetings probably four to five times a year, we do welding competitions. You get to network with so many different people. You get to meet people all throughout the industry and you develop all these contacts and friendships and relationships with these people because they have the same interest. Welding is so vast. You never know who's a welder. It's crazy. Even if they're not welding right now, they might have a past in welding. And you just, going to these meetings and everything, you're going to just grow that network of people that you can talk to, ask questions to. If you need a job, it's a great way to get a job. Just oh, meeting. definitely. We did our, so we started our own section here in Central Florida. I'm the chairman of the Central Florida section for the American Welding Society because I was trying to get my students more actively involved. And we would drive to Ocala all the time. And it's like a two-hour commute. We're trying to get a group of students together on a Thursday evening to drive up to Ocala, be there by six, stay till eight o'clock, and then drive two hours home and come back to school the next day. It was pretty difficult. So <laughs> we decided to have our own section here in Central Florida. So we jumped through all the hoops, got all the signatures, put all the checks in the boxes, signed all the appropriate paperwork. But during our charter meeting, I invited the industry that wrote us letters of support. And then I also invited some of the students that had received AWS scholarships that year. During that charter presentation, during that, that whole dog and pony show, one of my students landed a job with one of the companies that were a supporter of our section. Like you said, you can get a job at an AWS meeting. Like I've literally seen that take place. And this, then the kid's still working there today. That's He's awesome. been there for three years now, going on four. That was one of the big things when I was going through school. They're like, yeah, join the AWS. And I didn't know until I was almost done with school, you could get scholarships and everything through it. I think it was actually from listening to your podcast that I was like, oh, they give out scholarships. I, I should look into that. Over $2 million a year. Yeah. 
As far as the podcasting shift, what has been more difficult, learning how to use a welding machine or using editing equipment for audio editing? I think editing equipment has been by far the biggest learning curve because with welding, I could I, I could see it instantly. Yeah. And it's okay. I can turn this knob all the way one way and I can turn it all the way the other way and I can see the difference between the two. But when I'm messing around with audio, like I don't know what for these, these I need a standard terms and definitions book for audio and tell me like exactly what this stuff is. Because you go through it, you get all these different, like you've seen it and because you're an audio guy, I really can't hear the difference when I turn it one way and I turn it the other. So it's on certain things. So it's been really difficult. So I've spent a lot of the time on YouTube teaching myself how to edit audio. Have you done any ear training? No, I probably need to get into that. It's see, if you go down the audio world, it is something it'll just trains your ears to hear different variances and tones and everything. It'll definitely make you have a new appreciation of what all these different knobs and everything do it's like welding you're never going to know everything there's too much there's too many different pieces of equipment there's plugins there's all kinds of different stuff it's a never-ending road and if you try to learn it all you just go crazy so you have to develop your own style just like in welding it's like you're editing yeah, style. and the plugins are crazy because it's like buying a new accessory for your welding machine yeah <laughs> like, why can't you just delete plug-in pack that does like the six things that i need it just charged me like two, three hundred bucks. Nope, each plug-in is like a hundred bucks or yep. $129. Oh, I really only need it for this episode. Maybe I can just get by without it or process in a different audio platform. Oh yeah, no, there's too many. Even from like being a, mu I record music every day. That's like my full-time gig is writing songs, recording them, mixing, mastering, sending them off every day. And podcasting has been so different. It's like just dealing with conversations and trying to keep pace and everything. Like it is a whole different ball game because I'm used yeah, to it's a lot of work. Yeah. And you probably run into this a lot too. When we're having conversations over the internet, the audio is not always what we would hope. 100%. It's like my mic sounds fine, but I want my guests to sound good. Trying to doctor that afterwards is a very big struggle as well. Yeah, you're trying to bring up, like, you got a Shure SM7B on your end and using AirPods on the other end. You're like, not the same mic quality. Now I got to factor that up with a bunch of plugins. Oh, yeah. But thank goodness for plugins. I'll send you a list of really good ones that'll probably, there There are a couple that will do a lot of that work for you, like what you were saying. Okay. But I'll send those to you. We don't want to give away trade secrets to everybody. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I just saw you were starting to get into blacksmithing. Oh, yeah. I was actually doing that right before I jumped on the mic here. Oh, really? <laughs> what inspired you to get into that? Just something you've always wanted to do? So at probably, I don't know, maybe age eight or nine, I went to this antique engine convention up in northeastern Ohio. I'm originally from northeastern Ohio. And I seen this blacksmithing guy there, and I really could care less about all the antique engines and stuff. It just wasn't my thing, but I was there for the day. My grandfather participated in it. So I was just walking the show and I seen this blacksmith and I was like, dude, that's cool. He's playing with fire and he's hitting metal and he's like just turning odd chunks into really cool, elaborate, beautiful pieces. And so that's what sparked the interest initially. And it's just taken me this long to start acquiring the, the materials and doing the research and kind of setting up like a forge in my backyard and all that. I started going to, I think every state has them. It's the, the Blacksmith Artist Association. So just look it up for your state. But like we, so the one in Florida is the Florida Association of Blacksmith Artists. And Tennessee might be T-A-B-A, -A, but check out your, your local blacksmith artist stuff. But my, my daytime instructor, he was a member of FABA. 
And I was like, yeah, I always wanted to go to one of these meetings, but I never know where they're at. Don't know anything. And so he's like, oh, just sign up. You pay a $30 membership for the year. And then you get to come out to all the events and they, they'll send out a newsletter every week. So I jumped on that and I went to a bunch of meetings and I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to hit metal and make cool things. Yeah. And so just slowly over the past couple of months, I started gathering all the stuff that I need to, to start moving hot metal. And it's been pretty fun. It's learning a whole new skill set. And you think because you're a welder, you know a lot about a metal. Uh, no, there's <laughs> a lot. To, it's like trying to learn how to edit audio. It's like there's so many different little nuances and temperatures and heat treatments and all kinds of stuff that go along with it. Yeah. I talked to a blacksmith down at Fabtech. He was a blacksmith first and then became a fabricator. Like he works at a fabrication shop. He was like, yeah, most people, it's, it's the other way around. Like people will get into fabrication and then get into blacksmithing. But he was like, it's two different worlds. Like as, as much as you would think, it is very easily crossed over that line to blacksmith, to fabrication and welding. There's a big difference. Like for like There's a forge huge difference. welding. Like using borax, man. Like he, he told me. If you think about it, you got to get it up to the right temperature. You got to get it up to forge welding temp. But then once you take it out, you've got to clean your base metal. And then that borax is a flux. So it's that part similar to welding. You got to keep all the impurities and stuff out. But that's like the only the thing in common that they have. Yeah. And training your eye to see the different colors of the temperature. Cause that, mm -hmm. that was something I was asking him. I was like, how do you know it's, if it's getting too hot? Like, how do you, cause I watch Forge and Fire. I watch it. I've watched pretty much every episode and I feel like I could go out there and do it, but I definitely would be humbled real fast. <laughs> but I was like, they're always burning it. They get it too hot. And then the grain structure is not right. It's like, how do you tell? Like, how can you just tell? He's like, you just can tell. Yeah. It's like you train your eye to see that the, what the different colors mean. Same thing in welding. You can start to see how hot a piece of material it is with the different colors that change there, but totally mm -hmm. different, like just a way brighter color to try to understand. Kind of like with doing audio, you got to tune your ears. Oh, blacksmith, yeah. You got to tune your eyeball. Are you doing coal forging or are you doing propane forging? No, I got the propane just because it was more readily available. Yeah. And the cool thing with propane is I can get the material up to forge welding temperature, but most of the time you're not going to melt the material that's in there. It just doesn't get hot enough to completely melt it. Now I say that, but I was trying to make a penannular brooch earlier, my second attempt. And I was like, let me, while I'm working on this, I'm going to work on something else. So I got everything all tapered down nice and pointy. And then I was like, I'll throw it in there for another heat. And then I was going to work on something else while that piece was heating up. And by the time I got back to it, I melted the, the end off of it. So I was like, oh man, that's not good. I guess I can melt it far enough if it's thin. But the cool thing about propane is you can get it up to forage welding temperature, but like where with coal, like you can lose out super quick. If you get it too hot, like by the time you start seeing little sparks coming out, you, you pull your piece out and it's already gone. Just completely melted. In the blacksmithing world, is there the same divide like there is in the welding world where people are like, it's MIG or die, it's TIG or die, only stick. It's like, yeah. So I was actually talking to this Scott Robbie about that the other day because he's got a couple of bladesmiths that, that teach at his school at night. And apparently, bladesmiths, blacksmiths, and farriers are very similar to stick welders, MIG welders, and TIG welders. They all think that they're the best <laughs> and they don't recognize the other skill sets. They're like, oh, you're a bladesmith? You're not really a blacksmith. Oh, you're a farrier? Yeah, not really a blacksmith. So it's that same dynamic that we have as welders. That's awesome. See, that's just something I was wondering. I was like, I wonder if it's the same way. I guess any trade or even in music, like country or nothing, 
rock and roll till I die. I just, I just want an acoustic. There's all these different people. Yeah. So speaking of making things outside of blacksmithing, tell me about the process of putting your studio together. Because you got all these cool lights and you got your foam up, you got everything going on. What was that like? It was, it was a long process. So I wanted to do this, let's see, October of last year. October 2021, I had all my money saved up and everything, and uh, my air conditioner died. Ugh. And I had to replace the entire unit, handler, everything. And it had been around for 17, 18 years. I knew it was coming. It was just a matter of when. And when you live in Florida, like, you can't go without an air conditioner. Yeah. So I ended up and had to spend all the money that I had saved up for my podcast studio, put it on the air conditioner, and then save up money again. So it was like um, kind of like the Johnny Cash song, one piece at a time. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to do everything in little bits. So the first bit was, okay, I'm going to buy a 10 by 12 shed, like a weather tight shed. So that was like step number one. And then I would save up some more money. And then I was like, okay, I got to run electrical in here. So I got with some of my buddies at the school that were big into electrical. And I was like, hey, this is all the equipment that I'm going to have in here. So we did a little layout. Here's the power requirements you're going to need. Here's all the switches and breakers and everything you're going to need. So I just start buying those a little bit at a time. Buy the wire, get all that stuff done dig a trench from my uh, my house to the studio so we could plug into the main breaker and all that. And then once we got the electrical done, it was time for insulation. So I did all the insulation and everything myself. And then my instructor, my daytime instructor, his dad's like a handyman. So I was like, man, I don't know the first thing about drywall. Yeah. So his dad came over and helped me knock out all the drywall and do all the mud work and everything and patch everything up and sand it all down. And once that was done, I got everything painted and then had a Home Depot come in and do the carpet work. And then I was like, cool. And then I, it was after that, it was right off to Amazon. Just buy a piece of furniture this week, buy one two weeks later, get some monitors set up, get the foam panels. And yeah, it's just a little bit at a time. It took me about six, seven months to get the whole thing from the time they dropped the shed off till I had everything hooked up and recorded my first episode. Dang, that is some patience right there, man. Seven months yeah. of just seeing it slowly come together, but. I'm yeah. the same boat, man. Once you start buying audio equipment, it's a never-ending passion that you will have. Is oh, yeah. You'd never have the piece of gear that you, that you always want. There's always something else that's a little bit better. What have been your favorite things to learn about the audio world? What has been like the biggest aha moment you've had with just recording and editing audio? I think just learning all the shortcuts for audio. And then I think you, I use Logic Pro to do all my editing. So the, one of the biggest things is finding a lock key. So I don't have to click here, click that, make, execute one command. So just being able to hit shift or command and hit a letter or something like that. And boom, like you cut out different pieces of audio. So I think that's probably been the best part about learning this stuff is uh, learning the different keys, the commands, just to make editing a little bit easier. Because you know, as well as I do, if you record for, and it was the same thing when I was working at weld.com, we'd shoot a film and edit or film a video for, you know, an hour, it might take two to three hours to edit that down. Yeah. Same thing with doing a podcast. If I record for an hour, two hours, it's probably going to take two to three times the amount of time of the recording to get it back down. And then you got to play with all the audio, get all the levels just right. And then you got to put in the pre-rolls, mid-rolls, the post-rolls and all, you know, the, the music, the intros, the outros and all that stuff. So just trying to figure all that out. I mean, the whole thing has been a fun process. This is my first venture into the podcasting world too. So I've been learning just like right alongside you of all these different things that I never knew I needed to know how to do. And But it is those hotkeys, man. If you ever go to like a recording studio and see an engineer, like an audio engineer use 
their hotkeys. It's insane. If you go to... Oh, they've got 40 different sliders on there. It's yeah. creepy. It's, it always blows my mind. I've been recording music for years and years, but I still am not like up to that. I always get dragged down different worlds where I'm like, this is something that I need to focus on. I'm way better at this, so I should stay in my lane. There's one guy that used to do a lot of recording for me. His name is Don Bates. And man, like you would lay something down. And you'd go listen back, and as you're, like, listening to a three-minute-long song, by the time it gets to the end of it, he's like, all right, it's all done. I'm like, what? And it's just, like, up there, just all these hotkeys all throughout the song. It's just insane. One day, I will have the attention span to learn them all, but it is. You'll get it. (laughs) Uh, YouTube University, man. That YouTube is, as far as, like, being a welder, I feel like YouTube is such a huge resource that people just scratch the surface of a lot of times they'll just get hooked on one channel because you develop a relationship that's weird thing that i've really learned about myself is i'll start watching one video and then i'll get three videos in and i'm just like man i love my friend like i know this person we're developing a relationship with a complete stranger yeah i know that probably sounds weird but just talking to him in person too it's wild getting distracted here getting pulled up as far as the podcast what's been your biggest struggle besides audio do you run into have you ever lost an episode what kind of stuff has been your biggest struggle yeah i say i have lost a couple episodes i recorded it and then i came back and i was like there's no audio or like when i went to fabtech and one of my mics just died so like we were talking this audio equipment's pretty expensive so when you take it out of the box you expect it to work so yeah i've lost a couple episodes i haven't had my i haven't been able to record an episode i got through one episode i looked over and i was like this very early on i was like i forgot to hit record can we start over 45 minutes into an episode yeah let's do you remember what you talked about right like we could we just do that again i know it's not good to play favorites but what have been some of your favorite episodes you've done this past year this past year i would say i having nate bowman and rush kane on because they actually, so they run that Weld Labs program. So they came down to my school prior to my departure. And during their time here in Orlando, they stopped by the shed. Mm-hmm. And we got to cut an episode in the shed. So it was or in the studio. I got to quit calling it a shed. It's the Buzzbox Studios. We got to cut an episode in here. So that was pretty awesome. That's probably one of the most memorable ones because they brought their camera guy, Jesse, with him. And that dude just does some like incredible work. So that was a really cool episode. I'm doing a couple of the lives this year. So I had Ray Ripple on for, we did an Instagram live, which was one of the Weld Wednesdays with AWS. I love talking to Ray. She's just like super brilliant person. A lot of fun, just real genuine person. Being able to talk to Daniel Osig, the guy that made this sign that's right behind me. He's a welder out of Germany. Yeah, he's he's a welder out of Germany. And I got to talk to him. He was actually vacationing in Italy the uh, the night that we recorded the episode. And so like shortly after the episode, he's like, hey, I want to make you something. Send me your address. So I was like, okay. So I shoot him my address. A couple months later, man, he starts sending me some little teaser pictures. And he like welded my logo on this nice piece of brushed stainless put a beautiful little frame around it with the uh, the matching black and green color scheme from the Arc Junkies podcast. And uh, now it's up there on the wall. It looks amazing. It's, I think those are probably some of my favorite episodes from 2022. Do you have a dream guest that you'd want to have on your show? A dream guest? I don't know. It's hard to say. I'd, probably, I'd like to talk to Alex Steele. I know he's he was on the Arc Junkies podcast before I took over back in 2020. I don't know if he'd be available to do it now or even if I'd be able to get a hold of him. I haven't even made the attempt, but I think it'd be cool to talk to him. He's a ball of energy and just super talented for as young as he is. That'd be more 
personal because he's into the whole blacksmithing realm. I'd like to talk to Jimmy DeResta. I think he'd be a cool one to have on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I love his stuff. I like his channel. Yeah. It's so like just his videos in general are just his personality would be a really fun one to just sit and chat with. Yeah. As far as about education and everything, what is your biggest tip that you can give to newer welders or people that are trying to just take their career to the next level? Oh, this one's easy. Yeah, I get this question all the time, especially if you're a new student. Like when you get in there, write every question down that you have. A lot of folks, they forget what question they were going to ask. So write it down. If you're in the booth, you think of a question, write it down. If you leave school, you think of a welding question, write it down. Type it into your phone. Everybody's on their phone all the time. Key it into your phone. That way you can ask your instructor the next day. I'd had so many students that would walk up to me and be like, I had a really good question for you and I can't remember what it was. So write your questions down. The next thing would be once you get into your program, spend all your time in the booth. There's a lot of students that they quench their plates for 30, 40 minutes on end. You know, they take excessive bathroom <laughs> breaks. They're out back smoking and joking. You're paying to be at a school. You're paying for somebody to teach you a new skill set, a completely new trade. And everybody's familiar with the 10,000 hour rule. So put in all the time that you can in that booth. Burn every piece of rod and wire that they'll give you. Show up early, stay late, come in outside of class hours if it's allowed. I used to allow my students to come in on Fridays. We didn't have school on Fridays. The college was open. We just didn't have scheduled class meeting sessions. So I'd leave the door open. I'd be like, if you guys want to come in and get some extra practice, save me from my office. I'll be more than glad to come out in the shop and hang out with you and we'll put in some extra time. Yeah. Especially if you're not quite grasping the concept. Don't give up. And that's probably the, one, of the, one of the biggest things. Don't get mad. It's, it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult skill set to learn for most people. So just because you can't, put two, three welds down and all of a sudden you've got weld porn quality welds on your plate and everything. Don't give up. Don't freak out. That's natural. It's normal. That means you're making progress. You know, it's going to take you a long time to get there. Focus and put it, put as much hood time in as possible. That's great. Yeah. The, you paid to be there. Take that time. Make the most of it. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, you're the one that's paying to be here and you're out here talking to me. I would be in there just welded. That's how I got better. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to get better is hood time. Yeah. And that is very clear. Once you get all the hood time, you possibly can't. Like I talked to Jordan Packer. He was the world skills. Yeah, world skills. yeah. And I was talking to him about, I asked him the same question. He was just like, he's put the hours in, put the work in. He was like, I've got an, a ridiculous amount of hood time under my belt because of practicing, practicing. And people ask him, like, how to get better. Just do that. Just practice. Like, you have to be dedicated if you want to get to those skill level that that you're chasing. Yeah, practice and don't be afraid of making mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. It's better to make them in class than on the job. Once you get out in the workforce, people are going to pay you to practice. So get it while you're in school. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, shoot me a message on the Weld app and let me know what kind of topics or people you would like me to have on in future episodes. Also, if you're trying to score some new equipment and swag, every month there's a mystery box of surprises given away to a lucky premium member, so make sure you don't miss out. I'm Bo Wigington, and until next week, we'll see you out there.